The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, If you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. God, we thank you for your word. Tests. Tests are not just a measure of what we know. Tests are also a measure of who we are. Particularly when we don't do well on a given test. When I was applying for graduate school in my late 20s, I had to take the GRE which was the graduate records examination. And unlike my experience with, if you remember the ACT or the SAT from high school, 10 years earlier, it was a handwritten test with all those bubbles that you'd fill in, and if you didn't know, you answered C, right? Unless that experience, the GRE that I was taking was now on the computer. Whoa, an old man, this was new at the time. And I was told that the computer had programmed in it an algorithm that if you were regularly missing hard questions to the GRE test, it would automatically move you down to easier questions. And I remember getting one question that was almost like laughable easy that I thought to myself, I must be really tanking this test. And then the next question came, and it was even easier. And my palms just began to sweat because I knew to get into the graduate school I wanted to get in, I had to have a certain score. And so now as I'm seeing all these easy questions come my way, my future of getting into grad school is being called into question. I remember getting the prompt, do you need more time? (laughs) And almost reading it as if, do you even need to bother finishing this test? You stink. The test revealed something that was within me. 
Many of us have moved beyond written tests, but we've not moved beyond other tests, right? You may have tests right now involving a relationship that you're in. It's testing your strength. It's testing your patience. It's testing your perseverance. You may have tests that are going on right now that are tests of character. Revealing what is in you in a way like nothing else can. That's why I'm so sad to hear that some students now with COVID don't have to take their behind-the-wheel driver's test. Because that test is a rite of passage to reveal what's in you, right? Or that students nowadays in high school, I may get this wrong, Sam, I think Sam may have told me this, I may be wrong, depends on the school, but some schools, students are given three times to take the same test, and then they're able to choose their favorite grade. We've made the test no longer a test. And we've taken from students the opportunity to see not only what they know, but who they are. I want to ask us this question this morning. What test does the Lord have you taking in your life today? What test does the Lord have you taking in your life today? And as you're taking this test, what's coming out of you? Are you failing? Maybe it's a test of parental patience. And you're finding yourself having more mom rage than you ever expected possible. You're failing. Maybe it's a test of being a sacrificial spouse of loving your spouse the way Christ loved the church, and you're finding yourself instead going, you know what, I'll change when they finally decide to change. You're failing. And maybe it's a test of faith in your relationship to God. You have an idol factory in your heart that's producing all kinds of Better options in your mind for finding comfort than God. Better options for having control than God having control. Better options for finding pleasure than your relationship with God bringing you pleasure. And you're creating these new idols and these new places to worship instead of him. You're failing the faith test. I want to tell you this morning, take heart. Be encouraged. Failing the test is part of God's plan. Faith failures are part of God's plan because faith failures are part of God's way of leading us to a faith that is fuller, a faith full when we're empty, a true on the test when our answers are false. Why should we find comfort and encouragement that we are going to fail the test, friends? Because any test, any faith test of our relationship with God, friends, Jesus has passed with the way of the cross. And so we can receive his record of faithfulness. Any test of our faith relationship with God, Jesus has passed with the way of the cross. So we can receive his record, his score of faithfulness. The Gospel of Matthew, as we've been discussing over the past several weeks, it's written primarily to a Jewish audience. That's not us. 
And so we have to unpack it a little bit and understand what are they hearing that we're not necessarily hearing. The primarily Jewish audience are those that are part of the nation of Israel, whom God called in the Old Testament, my son. Israel, my son. There's a relationship. There's a tender relationship God has with Israel, his son. And thus far in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew has set up Jesus as being another son. Another long-awaited son. The son of God. The son of God who's with us. The son of God who's with us who would make right all that Israel and all that we got wrong. Today's passage is made up of three simple true and false questions that two Israels had to take. And we're going to put their tests side by side. Israel 1, the Israel of the Old Testament. And Israel 2, the true Israel, Jesus. We're going to put these tests side by side in the wilderness. Same places. One test took 40 years, the other 40 days. But there's three test questions both Israels were asked in the wilderness by the tempter. And one failed. And one faithful. These questions that are asked on this test are foundational to faith. They're questions that were asked subtly in the garden. And they're questions that are asked of Jesus and of us today. Here they are. The first question. True or false? God helps those who help themselves. True or false? Second question, true or false, God is only real to those who can see him and feel him. Third question, true or false, all roads, even shortcuts lead to God. First true or false question, God helps those who help themselves. You may have someone that's actually asked you that test question. So let's help answer it by looking at verses 1 to 4. What can we see to be similar to these two tests that are being taken, like we talked about? Both sons, Israel, were led by the Spirit of God through the wilderness. For the old Israel, as they were led through the wilderness, what did they have? During the day, pillar of cloud. During the night, pillar of fire. They had the Spirit leading and guiding them through the wilderness. Jesus does too. Matthew says. Both sons, both Israels, were hungry in the wilderness. When you're in the wilderness, there's not much to eat. Not much. There's maybe some locusts. There's maybe some cactus. There's something to eat, but not much. So they're both hungry. And both sons are clearly being tested. Deuteronomy 8.2 says this of the old Israel. But we heard Bobby Reed today. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you in these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. How did they do? Not well. And then Matthew 1.1 says... Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted. Or another way to translate that is tested by the devil. And so onto the wilderness scene, like a snake slithering into focus, comes 
the tempter. God's agent. The one responsible for putting someone to the test to find the imperfection, find the fault within them. He comes onto the scene and he asks Jesus this question. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to turn into bread. The first word, if. The tempter is raising a doubt to the accuracy of the voice that just came from Jesus' baptism that said, this is my beloved son. And the tempter saying, if you truly are a beloved son, if that's true, he says, then do what every man under the sun is known to do when given the chance. Just help yourself to the stones. If you're truly God's son, use your power to make manna for yourself because you're hungry rather than depend on God the Father to provide for you. What the devil is the devil doing here? He's turning, trying to turn Jesus away from a dependent relationship to the Father. He wants to make the Father unnecessary to Jesus. He did it in the garden, promising Eve, you will be like God. You don't need him anymore. You can know good and evil. Let's get God out of the picture. Just do it yourself. Help yourself. The other night, for some weird reason, I don't know, I was driving late at night, and I was thinking about the phenomenon of looting. You see this happens during crisis times in cities. When the power goes out on a neighborhood or there's a natural disaster that strikes a big city, you see images of people like breaking store windows and helping themselves to like televisions and computers and jewelry. It's such a disturbing image to our answering the question, God helps those who help themselves. True, that's true, we humans say. When people feel helpless and powerless, That's really a time when they start helping themselves. And Jesus was hungry. And the tempter said, help yourself to some stones. God helps those who help themselves. Jesus says, false. False. Deuteronomy 8.3, he quotes, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word which comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, man will only survive if his nourishment is dependent upon God. Living on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus says. That's how I will survive. It drums up, living on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It drums up an image for me this week of like a little baby bird being fed directly from the mother's mouth. God helps those who are helpless themselves. Jesus claims his dependence on God, not an independence from God. The tempter says separation, separation from God. That's what we need here. No, no, that's not going to stand. I will not act in independence from my father. I will instead, Jesus says, live like that little bird in the nest waiting for my papa to arrive with food and bring the next meal. This was not the first Israel's test results in the Old Testament. 
God gave them manna every day, daily bread. And then he made sure that they had a double on the day before the Sabbath so they wouldn't have to labor on the Sabbath day, on the rest day. But what did many do? They just helped themselves to it, hoarding it longer than a day or hunting for it on the day of rest or complaining that it wasn't enough for them. And then in John 4.34, Jesus talks about the fact that his food, it's an interesting expression, my food is to do the Father's will. And it's the Father's will for Jesus to be baptized into death. That little temptation of bread, friends, is bigger than bread. Because if Jesus were to do what the devil was asking him to do, it would mean doing a will that was outside of his Father's will, acting independently, and Jesus had zero interest in that. His desire, his joy, his food, and his life was living in perfect obedience to what the Father wanted and the Father's will. Nothing less. And so you, friends, who have failed the test, who have helped yourselves receive Jesus' record of faithfulness. Let him make you into himself faithful, day by daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Let him transform you into his way of the cross, which means giving up hoarding all this manna for yourself and living a life of sacrifice. It means rejecting the belief that you have to be a self-made man or woman in order to succeed. It means you have to have all your future options in front of you today. No, 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 no. Be, become like the little bird whose mouth goes up when you open God's word. Today, Lord, ah, feed me. Ah, I need you. Ah. As we're on the same way of Jesus, the way of the cross, and following the will of the Father, we refuse to take matters into our own hands. So the second question that's asked in this temptation, true or false, God is only real to those who can see and feel him. Passes the first test, and the tempter takes Jesus, probably in a vision or a dream, to the peak of the temple in Jerusalem. That peak would be about 100 cubits or about 135 feet above the ground. And we are in a great view at Heritage Hill to see the peak, the highest point in Green Bay. You see it out there? Lambeau Field, the sign? That's the highest point in Brown County. It's right there. You can see it. That's, in essence, where Jesus was taken, to that high point, to look out over Jerusalem. He says to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written that he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands, the angels' hands, they will bear you up so you don't fall, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Oh, man, friends, be warned, the devil knows Scripture. The devil knows Scripture really well, and he's using it. He quotes Psalm 91, which is all about a future of finding safety and protection with God. And he knows how to use Psalm 91 as a test of a child's faith. What's being tested in the question that he's asking him to do? The presence of God is being tested. 
Is he really here to help you do what he's called you to do? The only way you're going to know for sure is to ask him to do something obvious, to prove himself, to demand a sign instead of trust and faith. Psalm 91 is a psalm that is written with so much future tense. He will command his angels. He will deliver you. He will protect you. But what the tempter is testing is that a trust in a future promise is not enough. You must demand that he make good on his promises now for you to believe him instead of later. And you see the illustration of this in the quote Jesus Jesus uses. Jesus says, false. You are not to put the Lord your God to the test. Which in the original passage completes with, as you tested him at Massa. So what happened, you may not know, what happened in Massa? Exodus 17 tells us, Israel, the people of God, they arrived at Rephidim, which is a place of rest, as they got out of slavery, and they arrived at this place to just rest. They just, the day before, had manna, all this food given to them from God from heaven, and now they're at this place of rest. And guess what's not there? Water. There's no water here. And they form, the Israelites form a coup against Moses. And they threaten him to take him out. Give us water to drink. They like choke him like Homer chokes his son. Give us water to drink. And God, who has shown himself faithful up until this point, they're saying he's not here. The absence of the water means God's left. He's not present. And Moses says to them, Why do you test the Lord? Why do you question a God who has been faithful time and time again? And Moses is then commanded by the Lord to strike a rock. And out of a rock comes waters. Maybe your question is whether God is real or here or doing anything to provide you help or protection. You don't feel it. You don't see it. And you failed the trust test. You said, I'm going to fall back. Oh, see, he didn't catch me. Jesus did not fail that test. Jesus didn't test the Lord to see if his angels would take care of him. What happens? He trusts the Lord that he would take care of him. And what happens in verse 11? The angels take care of him. They begin ministering to him, which means they probably began feeding Jesus some food. How do you do at waiting? How do you do at trusting and patience? That God will do what he says he will do. I want to encourage you, friends. The manna sits at the table. The cure for thirst is at the table. Jesus' record of faithfulness, which is on display for you, for you to feel going down your throat every time you walk into worship, Receive his faithfulness that he trusted instead of testing God. As you face scary waters, stormy waters, trouble, remember, here's your rest. Here's your Rephidim. Here's your rest. The way of the cross was made and paved for you. 
the Lord will take you down parts of the path that seem like, are you here? Are you here? Are you here? Don't put him to the test by demanding, you got to show up right now here. Remember that he has shown up. He has shown up. He has passed the test. Even when you feel an emptiness in your heart or you see no evidence of change in your circumstances, he is there and he's calling you to rest in the truth and the trust that he's there. Which leads us to our final question. True or false? All roads, even shortcuts, lead to God. Jesus is taken in his third test to the top of not just Green Bay, but like the top Mount Everest. To capture a view of all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. It's like he's getting a glimpse from this high point of the Eiffel Tower and Big Ben, Great Wall of China, Sydney Opera House. The tempter who knows that Jesus is here on earth to wage war and dethrone him. To take back all the nations that Satan has held under his slave hands. The tempter holds in front of Jesus the easy button. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. It's the easy button because it would indeed be the devil's prerogative. He holds all these nations under his rule to give to Jesus what he came to conquer. Authority of all nations can be yours, can be yours with a simple bow of the knee to say that I'm God, I'm in charge. I'm at least equal, if not better than your father who's called you to this world to suffer a hard road and a hard way. Take the shortcut. Serve me, not him. And everything you came here to do will be done. Serve me, not him. Press the button. And Jesus quotes a final verse from Deuteronomy 6.13. False. False. There is only one road, Jesus says. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. The first Israel miserably failed the test. Shortcut after worship, shortcut was their history. Their idols, their false gods usually arose when they became comfortable in believing what they had they had earned rather than been given to them by God. Idols are shortcuts, detours, around the only promised way to God, the way of the cross. The way in which Jesus was going to secure all of the nations as his own was not to bow before a false god, but to offer his life fully to the true God, to his Father. The king will lay down his own will for that of the Father's. The king will trust in the future protection of his father even while he felt the tearing of the nails on his skin and the hell abandonment on the cross. He will provide for me. And the king will commit his loyalty fully only to the father's way of salvation, which is a perfect sacrifice needed to set any captive sinner free. A forgiving blood was poured out to wash the sin stain clean. The way of the cross, it's not a shortcut. It is the longest road of suffering leading to a paved way of freedom. It's the only road that has been tested and found true. 
where God helps the helpless who cannot help themselves see the cross, where God is real to those who have not seen him hang dead on a cross or seen him risen from the tomb. But we believe through his witnesses who saw it that all of this is true. It's the only road which leads to God through Christ, the perfect son, the perfect Israel, the passer of the test. All nations are now his. Heaven and earth is his too because he's taken the test of faithfulness and he's found himself to be the only one to be true. Would you take comfort, tempted and tested ones that every test you're given in life, Jesus has passed. There's nothing, there's no test you are experiencing that he has not experienced himself in human flesh. And take courage. These tests, they're always temporary. They don't last forever. You may say, the skeptic in you may say, well, you know what? Jesus is God, so of course he would pass the test. He's not going to fail that. But one author writes this, and it's helpful for us to see that what Jesus experienced in the temptation was probably stronger than anything any of us in any of our tests have experienced. He says this, just because Jesus never gave in to a temptation that you and I always seem to give in to does not mean that he's never felt the tug of such a temptation. He says, picture this, a tug of war. What usually happens in a tug of war? At first, both teams try their darndest, but soon the weaker team discovers who they are, and instead of pulling harder to overcome the stronger team, they usually just give in, fall backward, forward, and just collapse. Now let me ask you, he says, who felt the tug more? The winner or the loser? The winner did. And the point is this. Those who resist temptation, as Jesus did, are those who feel the weight of it the most. As you face your testing, as you face your temptation, receive the faithfulness of Christ. Let go of the rope of your self-will and your own determination to try to get through this. No, just get on the other side and let him pull the rope because he already has. Run from the devil's game of attempting to separate you from Jesus. Go down the road the way, the test that's already been passed for you. The place the helpless go for help. The place doubters go to be convinced. Go to the way of the cross. The way of the faithful son who's taken your test. Who has pulled the rope, the temptation rope. And who has proven himself to be true. Let him win the war within you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, lead him, not us, into temptation. And you have. You have. And he is one. And he is victor. Father, he has been the one to remain faithful and true. And so we get on his side of the rope. When we fail our tests, we plead his winning. And when we feel the weight of temptation come closing in around us, we get, we get with Jesus who pulls the rope for us. We say, 
I cannot do this. Your will be done, not mine. We have his will be done in us who are unable to do it ourselves. Father, we pray that we today, as we participate in the Lord's Supper this morning, would see the manna in front of us, to see the drink that is offered for us. That we're not going into any wilderness place without bread. We're not going into any wilderness place without something to drink. We have Jesus who has faithfully followed and fulfilled the test. And Father, we have Jesus who makes us faithful as well. Pray this in his name. Amen.